G'day there, guys, and welcome back to Blowing Cartridges, your usually fortnightly gaming podcast about all things gaming and the, you know, culture surrounding it. I am one of your co-hosts, Zachary Clark, and joined, as always, by Brendan. Brendan, welcome back to the recording booth, our first recording session of 2024. How are you? Going well, thanks, Zach. And I, it, I think it is worth noting that this isn't the first episode of 2024, because no. as I think we might have mentioned in one of our episodes last year, we recorded quite a bulk of episodes in November 2023, but uh, we finally ran out of those episodes. There's, there's still <laughs> one to come that either will drop before this podcast or afterwards because it is a three-hour episode. So editing that has not been fun for things on my end, but uh, that one is still in the pipeline and, uh, yeah, that will come out eventually. But I probably should not talk about that too much right now. Yes, for sure. And uh, as we've kept a good string up, we've got another guest on this episode as well, uh, Buddy Watson, uh, you know, I'd say Australian gaming podcast regular uh, on many on of, the, of, the, of the key ones. Buddy, thank you for finally gracing Blowing Cartridges with your presence. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. And uh, thanks for the invite as well. No, it's, no, it's good to finally have you on, Buddy, because I feel like we've sort of been in the same orbit for a number of years now, but... I don't, well, I don't think we've ever spoken or no. outside of sort of Twitter interactions and that sort of thing. So <laughs> it's good to finally get you on and uh, to start 2024 recording sessions with a brand new guest. Yeah, it's always good to like meet new people through this avenue because like when I started back in like 2016, I maybe had one or two Aussie podcaster people that I interacted with. Um, a lot of the stuff that I kind of am friends with now and frequent on. They didn't exist yet. So for me, I started like as an Instagram page and mm-hmm. people like just posting reviews. And that was kind of like, oh, I'll get a logo out and a name. Um, and then I'll do like Instagram reviews quite quickly, uh, just briefly things. And that'll set up for the podcast. So it was always like towards the podcast, never actually for anything else. And then just kind of reaching out to people and meeting people. And yeah, it's been the kind of the best part. Like back in the, growing up, it was like, never meet people on the internet. Don't talk to strangers on the internet. <laughs> and now it's like the best way and to find friends and, and quite normalized so um yeah we've always kind of like walked past each other maybe at a pax or you know i'm walking at the at booth and i'm seeing you like guys recording um with drew or uh or, or josh and stuff so it's like always in the same circles but it's good to actually like speak to you in person yeah no thank you yeah no i agree it's um it's a great way to connect um and it's 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 yeah it's wild now we just record our interactions <laughs> online for a full record um so it's it's a very different world to when we were children for yeah. sure but yeah so this episode we doing one of our sort of yearly sort of state of the industry let's look back at how last year 2023 went we're recording sort of the end of jan for just you know posterity's sake so we've had a bit of time to sit back and think how did 2023 go as well as think how is 2024 looking so that's the theme let's jump into it quite a few big headlines sort of hit in 2023 it was it was an interesting year i think where i want to start though is just the the commentary that sort of came towards the end of the year which was just it was quote unquote one of the best years in gaming a lot of people say just in terms of reviews and releases keen to see whether both of you felt similarly in terms of just your vibe for the year and and sort of the games you were looking at or playing uh, I might start with you buddy how did you sort of feel when it came to just sort of all the releases and what was happening in 2023. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I always feel like 
the best year in gaming or one of the best years in gaming always correlates with like a Zelda release or <laughs> at least like a yes. healthy Nintendo. So getting a 2D Mario, um, a new 2D Mario for the first time in a long time and in the same year as a Zelda is like kind of bodes well for that. And then if you throw into that like the, the other platforms and like the AAA releases and stuff and, you know, Starfield and, and everything, whether it was a disappointment or not to people, um, I feel like it was just kind of like tentpole game after tentpole game and it's you know when it's a great year when it's too much to play and you have a lot of things on your like playlist like i want to check that out but you just kind of can never get around to it or you find yourself maybe playing all the things you want to play but then neglecting other parts of your life because there's just too much stuff to play so um, as far as like game quality wise uh, i think it's been quite good there's been some absolute stinkers in there as well or kind of failures as well i think they probably stood out more than previous previous years also like um some of the bigger disappointments but yeah i think that's uh that the, the diversity of games has been an excellent as well i have to agree with that because i feel like we are in that i guess golden window in terms of we're mid-generation for ps5 and xbox um series x Switch, yes, is in sort of the swan song years, but still Nintendo, when they are doing well, when they're succeeding, they do like to go out with a bang, I feel. And that's what they've done this year with not just Tease of the Kingdom and uh, Mario Wonder, but other games like Fire Emblem Engage and Pikmin 4 and even the Bayonetta Origins game. Like there was these, there's these releases that have been very good that have continued throughout the year and they've had quite a strong schedule. And I feel, I agree with you, buddy, that when Nintendo has a good year, it feels like the rest of the industry does tend to keep up. And yeah, that that's not to mention things like Starfield, Baldur's Gate 3, and um, well, the revival and redemption of Cyberpunk uh, 2077, mm-hmm. uh, which as um, listeners of this podcast would know that it was one of my, ga- I think it was my game of the year of 2020, even with all the issues. I still have not gone back to it. And I think one of the themes of this episode will be that, particularly since I'm deep into a PhD, I really don't play games that much anymore. I did, I did play games in 2023. So there are things for me to talk about in terms of that. But it's a real struggle when there's all these good games coming out and you're trying to, you want to keep up with the games releasing. You want to keep up with your backlog when there's some really great gems in your backlog of games but at the same time you feel like you're missing out on some of these huge releases like i have a copy it's on my bookshelf over there but i've still not touched tears of the kingdom i've not booted it up yet <laughs> yeah. so i know i know the moment i boot it up my life will be gone for the next month <laughs> it, it K- will kicked out from the phd yeah <laughs> guaranteed failure yeah for, i have to agree I and mean, there's certainly like as someone who you know it's harder and harder as you get older to keep up with games full stop but yeah i think um this year it was impossible like i always felt like if a true like 90 plus game came out i could always make the time to at least give it a crack you know i might not always finish i definitely don't finish every game i i start but um yeah this year it, it just quickly snowballed to the point where you just had to pick and choose and just go yeah i'm just not going to get to like, you know, I, I would have like Resident Evil 4, right? Like I loved the first one or the original, I should say. And I just didn't even touch the remake this year, which um, surprised me. Like, and, and I want to, but it's just like Zelda was coming out and I just, just prioritized that and then just never went back to it, which if you told me a year ago, I would do that. I wouldn't have believed you, <laughs> but here we are. Um, so yeah, definitely the, 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 frequency and the number of high quality titles just was was almost overwhelming in some ways um you know looking back if i actually compared 
different years. I'm not 100% certain it definitely takes the the cake. I mean, there's some there have been some really good years, particularly in the 90s, like 97, 98, with you know some of some all time classics. But either way, I think it's still going to stand the test of time and and be a year that always gets talked about with with you know the quantity and um and you know I think things like Baldur's Gate is always going to kind of be legendary. Um, it's hard for a Zelda game to not also always be talked about. I think that, you know, Tears of the Kingdom will have a permanent place in history. I'd be curious to see if that's true of, you know, say Spider-Man 2 or whether that'll sort of get, you know, say supplanted by Wolverine or a Spider-Man 3 in the future. But, you know, um, either way, it's, it's it was a very solid year for everything coming out. Definitely. Unfortunately, you know, we can't just have good news, <laughs> can we? <laughs> I think probably the other key big element of 2023 was just what at, at the, that time, and that'll you know we'll lean into this as we also just probably start teasing 2024 a bit. Um, appeared to be a record number of layoffs, at least in the last sort of decade or so. Um, I have pulled up some numbers which I've got from Rami Ismail, who you know uh, I don't think I don't know if he's currently with Lambeer or if he's left that, but he's certainly is most known for co-founding Vlambeer and his games like Nuclear Throne there, um, as well as just speaking, I think, every video games event at some point or the other. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he pulled up at, in 2023, there were 10,500 layoffs globally of into roles, you know, uh, which is which is a lot. Uh, you know, probably haven't seen that quantity in a single 12-month period Probably since the GFC, I would have thought. Mm. Um, I'm not 100% certain, but that was the last time we saw massive industry layoffs from a, you know, to the point it was making the news where your regular consumers were actually aware of it. I might just pause there and sort of, yeah, get a vibe check from both of you. What what are your thoughts around that, um, particularly in the contrast of the otherwise very positive set of releases? Sure, I think... To unpack it a bit, I think because one side of it is, I think, unfortunately, it is in part due to how game development works in the modern era that I think in some ways layoffs have become inevitable in terms of, let's say, X developer is creating a major blockbuster game, particularly Western developers. They'll massively increase the size of their development teams. These games have, like, if, well, you watch the credit of a, you watch the credits of a large game and they'll be like, 600 plus names going down the screen and what your credits now last like 10 15 20 minutes if not longer so it does seem like there is a culture now that you increase your staff you push out a game and then you might lay people off as you, and then your core team will then start working on a new project once that gets greenlit by the larger publisher or the higher ups in a developing development studio then they'll start recruiting again and bring more people in there's not really that culture of you're in a studio you've been there since it's founded and you never leave like if you go back to the 90s and you're like realwares and the like like before tim the stampers like sold it to microsoft like everyone seemed to have just stayed there and worked with them and like they 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 were increasing in sizes as they had to but you didn't really have movement between studios you didn't really have layoffs and layoffs really only happened when studios were shutting down but i think now you have this cyclical employment which I'm not defending or saying is a good thing, but I think that is a nature of the modern industry. And then I think I can keep on going on this topic, but I'd like to hear Buddy's thoughts as well, because then you have the whole Embracer group and the dodge, like I won't say dodgy, but the shady, like Saudi Arabian $2 billion 
deal that apparently fell through and now like they can't acquire studios anymore or like what no one really understands what's been going on with Embracer and how they've been able to like finance all this stuff and I think we were on an episode with Matt Sainsbury when we were talking about consolidation of the industry two years ago and we we all agreed that this wasn't going to end well and clearly I think that part is like the chickens are coming home to roost sort of um, thing when it comes to that situ- that particular situation. Yeah, definitely. And the, I guess the biggest disconnect is for, for me, like there's definitely those kind of non-fixed terms or, you know, like you're, you're saying a QA or you get people into a project and then it finishes and obviously they'll, that's the end of that, uh, the, the need for those people because of it's a, a short-term thing and they move on to the next stuff um, if there is. But the, the biggest disconnect is like when you hear stories of like people getting a role somewhere and then they're moving everything cross country and then for a new job or an opportunity. And then all of a sudden, you know, four or five months later, um, they're out of that role. And it seems to be not those kind of roles that were temporary or, or short, short term or kind of, you know, come with the territory if they are kind of a bit more variable. And then the other thing is just like, what you're saying about before, like embrace, it feels like they've kind of, we're just like, we're collecting all the infinity stones for the gauntlet <laughs> to like snap. Uh, everything away and unfortunately that like the 50 percent of people they've snapped away is kind of like Im- Im- employees so um it's super frustrating to see disconnect of like how oh, games are excellent and they're good and they're having one of the best years ever and you know, we're the most popular money making or re- revenue you know industry or whatever it is and then companies announcing their you know the, the pnls and then all of a sudden like okay cool um, all these people are gone. So I guess like from outside of the industry, it's the same as kind of like the banks announcing record profits and then like interest rates um, going up or CEOs getting kind of uh, bonuses like that. And then, you know, all of a sudden, the, you know, the banks are not passing on uh, or they are passing on all the kind of the uh, the interest rate rise and all that kind of thing. So it's always frustrating in that way. So it's just, um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I kind of don't know how to kind of sum it up. Like how does the industry get? But I, at, at one point there was like the, the video games layoff.com that was kept updating um, how many employees were gone and from each company. So I think they're still doing that as well. There's still that website, but to see that it's almost half already for this year into the year than what it was last year is just kind of depressing. It's kind of speaks to the, the, the you know, CEO and corporate structure, but also the rising costs of making games and how long that development cycle mm-hmm. takes and whether it can be sustainable and then as an industry how they deliver those games something like game pass subscription services are you actually making your money back now on x amount of years development and x amount of costs so yeah i feel like we've seen some of that with the, the streaming age and and that kind of stuff with movies and everything as well so yeah not to get into the politics the unionization the fact is that it is a it's it's not a unionized industry. So I think that is an interesting comparison with the film industry because you never really hear about layoffs of like production companies and the like in that space. Like, yes, some film production companies will go bust over the years and get bored up by other ones. But I, I don't know, perhaps it's because we don't follow the, or I don't personally follow the film industry as closely as I follow the games industry. But when it comes to industrial action and things in the film industry, you only really hear when people go on strike and not when they're getting laid off or losing their jobs. Yeah. And we had the strike last year, obviously, with the SAG-AFTRA um, and how that kind of affected um, streamer and their royalties and how kind of people got reimbursed and stuff and the use of AI or um, voice acting and how the residuals were going to be paid from from that. So 
I'm wondering how that's going to reflect on, on the video game industry with um, subscription services kind of on the, on the rise as well. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack in terms of sort of what led to this mass exodus. I mean, I'm, I'm a numbers guy, so I am going to start throwing around some numbers, um, if that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I think, Buddy, you just point out the, the budget issue with rising costs. I mean, uh, I don't like how this information got out there, obviously, through the Insomniac um, hacking. But uh, now that it is out there, I guess we, we it's worth acknowledging the cost you know of budgets at sony right like 315 i think million it was for marvel spider-man 2 is just gives you a ballpark mm. figure of what these AAA games cost right that's not a small number it requires no you know a lot of games to sell to even break even um and then going back to the interest rates which you also brought up you know that's that's a big part i think of where this issue rose because you know a few years ago interest rates incredibly low globally uh, to get money from outside sources, whether that's a loan or, or equity, you, you probably don't need to do too much convincing. You know, if, if you have an interest rate of, say, 2%, all you need to do is make, you know, 2% profit to or more to, to break even on that that investment. Now that interest rates are, you know, 5 6%, and for something risky like game development, they're probably getting charged much higher than that, I would have thought. It just gets to a point where you can't get that funding. And a, a really local example of that was League of Geeks, who, um, had to shelve uh, one of their two projects and lay off basically the team working on that late last year. That you know, sort of medium, small to medium sort of size company in Australia who mostly are known for a mellow, I would say. Um, and they just were, you know, blunt about it. It's just they can't get the funding that was quite freely available back in you know 2020, 2021, mm. particularly off COVID when everyone was able to show look how much money gaming made in in 2020 without Unfortunately, everyone making the obvious connection that they made so much money because most of the world was stuck indoors and and had excess cash from from um, not traveling or whatever or you know in Australia you know government sort of uh, subsidies and, and whatnot kept everyone liquid but uh, yeah anyway it's it's all sort of come to an end and then back to your point Brendan I think you're right with the cyclical nature all those projects that started in 2020 or earlier have finally finished and everyone's looking ahead and going. We can't do it again. It's just that the the numbers don't stack up the way they did then. And rather than start something fresh, we're just gonna we're gonna stop and lay off all these people and not do a new project or consolidate to to the to the you know definite winners and well what they believe will be the definite winners, right? Those those big name like you know if we look at um, Naughty Dog um, and they recently sort of canned the the live service last of us uh sort of multiplayer game and focusing in on what they know they can do that'll sell which is their single player stuff which to be fair i'm not against that decision i think i think naughty dog and single player is probably the right call for them but um it's just a perfect storm and then yeah as you said buddy i mean already for 2024 again quoting rami's uh statistics i think he's got 5600 with the very recent at the time recording microsoft layoffs contributing a large chunk of that jobs compared to 10,000 last year so and we're only a month into the year so that's incredibly concerning um and will be very you know i'm sad but interesting to see where it goes because you know, earlier, one of our earlier episodes, we had a, a former developer from EA who was a developer during the, the financial crisis and then got let go. And, you know, he left gaming and, and does other software development. I think that's going to be pretty mm -hmm. common now. We're going to see a lot of people 
these jobs aren't coming back. It's not, oh, I've lost a job at Activision. I'm going to now go and work at EA. It's going to be like, I lost a job at Activision. Nowhere else is hiring. Or if they are, they're not paying nearly as much as what I was earning. I can't, <laughs> you know, i got to pay my mortgage. Uh, i got to feed my family. I'm going to go work at a, a safer, larger tech company or or a bank or somewhere that still needs that kind of skill set and that's it that they, they might never find their way back which is incredibly sad um and but i also i don't know the answer if i did i'd probably be running a large video game company and not recording a <laughs> podcast <laughs> no you're you're right and i think um zach that the cost of game development is worth i think thinking about and talking about because your statistic your um stat of what over 300 million for uh, spider-man 2 I just, I've just pulled up what the estimated budget of uh, the latest Marvel movie to come out, the Marvels, was, and that was two hundred and seventy-four million. So, to make the video game is more than making the, and of course that movie was also a box office bomb. To make a game costs more than making the movie. I, I find that quite remarkable, and I think does when people compare the movie industry and the video game industry, I think that's worth noting. That I think we've. We've reached the point now that a high-budget AAA video game is more expensive to make than a high-budget, like, blockbuster film. Yeah. And I always think about, like, when people say, oh, you know, video games, they, they make more revenue or they make more money than any other industry. And it's like, okay, cool, that's great because they sell a product that it, like, is worth $70 as opposed to going to the cinema and watch a movie for whatever it is now. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, $15, $20, or whatever it is. So um, that's great. If the game is, you know, costing $300 million to make and it has, you know, maybe 5 to $10 million sales or whatever it is, so it's it has to have that to kind of get that revenue back. Whereas I guess like you see, you know, some of the big end films that are like what they're grossing, it's like it's grossing so much money, but no one near games. But like, yeah, but more eyes probably saw that than what played the game because the ticket cost is lower so i always feel like kind of the reach and engagement of said game or 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 the industry is kind of don't marry up when people go the video game industry earns the most money i'm like yeah i don't always vibe with that kind of comment i see what where it comes from but um as far as like the cost of games specifically triple a it's like okay well if they're rising you need more people to Mm -hmm. buy the games and if there's only so much player pool that's buying that type of game versus you know a film it's like you make a film okay it costs that amount of money but more people are seeing films yeah in general whether it's going to be going to the movies or streaming or whatever they can sell it off it's like i just feel like there are more people watching movies than games get playing games maybe maybe i'm wrong but uh, maybe triple a games i guess oh, i think, versus, I, well, I think you're right buddy because I, it brings me back to about 10 years ago when people i i think maybe dismissively um, gave off this impression of, oh, it was just silly Square Enix not being able to manage like companies properly. But back when Square Enix owned IDOS and games like Tomb Raider and Deus Ex Human Revolution were coming out and for all metrics seemed to have been selling well, like millions of copies. But then you'd see Square Enix's financial like annual reports and they'd be talking to their shareholders and they'd say, oh, our expectations was for Human Revolution to sell 4 million copies and it only sold like three and a half. That's that sort of off the top of my head. It's not those exact numbers, mm. but they said, oh, therefore it was a disappointment. And people are saying, oh no, but like it was critically acclaimed and like it sold millions of copies. Like how can they say this was a financial like failure? But I think it does go to your point that 
it is a very expensive need. Like you can sell lots of copies, you can gross a lot of money, but the input costs to make these games are quite immense. And, and in the AAA space, um, with that kind of cost, yeah, I, like I'm seeing it more and more now, and I'd love them to kind of go back to that. Like even though Spider-Man costs 300 million to make, that was like a an open world game that was only 20 to 25 hours if you want to platinum that. Um, whereas some of the recent Assassin's Creed games have been like you know, 80 hours or I'm not going to use Zelda as, as an example. That's a bad example. But um, <laughs> I see it more recently, I guess, and I can't believe Ubisoft is the, the example I'm going to give, but like Prince of Persia, they release something like that and it gets the critical acclaim. It's a much smaller game. They release Assassin's Creed Mirage. I'm not sure what their sales numbers are or um, you know how much critically acclaimed it was to other stuff, but that was a more condensed experience of 20 hours. So, um, maybe if they can make those type of games and have less of a bigger cost and still kind of pump out those like semi, even though they're AAA, semi, AA kind of more experiences, I'd, I'd wondering if we're going to get more of those this like in the future. So, yeah, it seems seems likely. And the other, I guess, factor which I think the movie comparison you highlighted is really key is like you know it's quite feasible for someone to be like, oh, you know. Barbie Oppenheimer, I can afford to see those two movies the same day or the same week. It's it's like not that big of a stretch. But if, you know, a large quantity of big games come out, like I mean, I know we're sort of talking about twenty twenty three a bit, but this, we just had Tekken and uh Like a Dragon come out the same day, both scoring nineties. So, you know, it's like uh for some, you know, hardcore fans, they're gonna be like, Yep, happy, here's hundred bucks down to both companies, Sega, uh, Namco, there you go. But a lot more people are going to have to make hard decisions. Well, not hard, but they're not going to be able to buy both and certainly mm. not at full price. They're going to have to say, I'm going to put one on the back burner and I'm going to buy it eventually or maybe never. But um, And that's also coming back to, you know, as as the cost for these video companies have gone up, the cost for us as individuals mm. have also gone up and we just have less cash in our pockets yeah. at this point in time to to justify buying heaps and heaps of games. And it's not just the price, because to use that example, if you go watch Barbie and Oppenheimer back to back, it's five hours out of your day. If you buy both <laughs> Yakuza and um, Tekken, like that is going to be a lot longer than five hours out of your day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 100%. For and sure. It's not even like factoring like ongoing service games that you just like play, play continually and then you're buying like skins or, uh, you know, battle passes or whatever else like that's kind of launching the game you know these kind of live service games or uh big you know, massive multiplayer games that keep doing seasonal content and stuff you're right you just go you know with the other movies you just you just see it. it's it's a shorter kind of window of your time yeah and that that's an interesting point to sort of talk about as well is those live service games because obviously we've seen i mentioned how you know the last of us one got got canned um but we're seeing a lot of a lot more of those come out and almost completely flop and, and go go just cancelled within months or, or at least a year of their release. Um, but at the same time, people keep betting on them because they look at mm-hmm. Fortnite, they look at, you know, Genshin Impact. And stuff. Genshin Impact and then anything Miho's put out seems just print money. Um, but but not everyone can replicate that success. Like clearly there's a skill to it. Again, Miho, me, I'm pronouncing it probably wrong, but Miho, whoever does Genshin slash... Um, what was the one they did last year? Podcast uh, Star Rail. Yeah, Star Rail. Like they've clearly got some sort of formula because it's it's two for two so far. We'll see if they go three for three this year. But people keep betting on it because uh, I I think they look at those 
constant revenues, those consistent revenues that they provide, you know, just sort of stability, um, which is what was lacking in in game releases that come out every three, four, five years and you just get one sugar hit and then maybe a trickle for the remainder until you, you put out a new game, but also seem to cost way too much to make and are just really big. You got to make it in the first month, two months, or you seem just to fail. And it'll be, you know, interesting to see how Suicide Squad does when that launches pretty soon uh, at the time of recording not not hopeful for it but um we'll we'll find out but that's going to be interesting to see what is the ramifications are we going to see people now look at all those failures and pull back or are they still going to see gta online and fortnite making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, if not millions of dollars every year actually i should say um and how can they get a piece of that pie yeah it's uh i don't know the, again don't know which way it's going to go but um it's whether it'll sort of shift back to, as you said, more smaller experiences because that's more viable or whether they're going to continue going for the, for the big dream of, uh, of something that gives them hundreds and millions of dollars on a, on a yearly basis. And and one thing I also wanted to bring up is like the, um, you know, so many people like the idea that like video games are art and I definitely play a lot of um, indie games uh, that are like innovative and using storytelling um as a different methods and of course it's about last of us and um big triple a games and specifically naughty dog and that kind of aspect but one of the things i feel like in the movie industry is like they are willing there are producers whether production companies or actual you know people that are just coming on board with projects um there are people that are willing to spend money at the expense of making money to make Art. And one of those recent examples is like Kills of the Flower Moon with Martin Scorsese, his latest film um, with $200, $200 million budget. It only like opened up on its opening weekend to $44 million. Uh, it only made $156 million. That $200 million didn't include marketing as well. But that was made by Apple and it had a limited theatrical run. But then it was onto their subscri- streaming service after that, even though it was like a three and a half hour movie and kind of Martin Scorsese has his own kind of do whatever you want. You're going to be no way of seeing, but they spent that money and lost money. But they're, you know, Scorsese's not their employee or whatever. And, and if they have a contract with him, you know, they might be disappointed or anything, but like they also might have other projects that kind of are part of their portfolio that'll make the money. And that will be the, I don't know, I guess, loss leader. Um, but that was more for their prestige for Apple mm-hmm. to have on yeah. their service. And then to, for that to be uh, paraded around the award scene with their tag on it. So I feel like video games don't really have that from a production element like let's make something that's going to be this super artistic thing if it loses money whatever we've created this art thing and we've got other projects and stuff that kind of you know will we'll raise up the rest of our portfolio or something so i feel like we want to be art but i, I, mm. I don't see it maybe i'm wrong but from yeah. another side well, there's a lot of movies that kind of bomb or don't make budget but are quite critically acclaimed and then those people still make movies of how the structure of the industry is and there are producers that are still going to fund people like that as creatives so i think like and maybe it is worth the pivot of conversation to uh game pass because that is sort of mm-hmm. and um rise of um digital gaming because that is i guess somewhat analogous to the apple tv example and uh what comes to mind in terms of like the i guess the game as an art like form and an art project would be or well, 2022's pentiment that uh, Microsoft yeah. backed. And I think it did start development before the acquisition of Obsidian by Microsoft, but they continued to back it, um, funded it, and then released it day one on Game Pass. And, like, I doubt because it was day one, day one on Game Pass that they actually made money and probably 
didn't make its budget back. Or maybe it was such a low-budget game that it did. I don't really know. Microsoft isn't going to give you the breakdown of the finances. But, like, that is one of the arguments, I guess, that some people have made to defend and support Game Pass, that it does allow... It creates a ready-made market for those smaller indie games and um, to get people in the door and to, I guess, justify funding those games. Like, I think there is definitely a dark side to Game Pass as well. And um, I think, as the Apple TV example is, that these big companies are... They, they get these prestige titles to try to get people to subscribe to their services. And I think that's what Microsoft is doing by purchasing all these um, companies like, well, the latest is Activision finally went through. And, uh, yes, there's a whole discourse over whether Call of Duty is going to be exclusive or not and um, all that. But most of those titles are definitely going to be um, Game Pass exclusive now, and that's what they're going to try to do to get subscriptions. Like they, they no longer care about selling games that, on a digital storefront or in a brick and mortar store. They want people to subscribe to Game Pass. That they've pivoted their strategy entirely. And I think I think the the one thing to watch in the gaming industry will be to see if anyone else follows Microsoft's lead. Because they they haven't really yet. Like some people have tried with like Apple Apple um arcade and um that that those sort of services. Humble Bundle has one too, but um no one's really taken like I guess gone in as head first as Microsoft yet. Uh, yep. Yeah, I think um it's interesting because it's like definitely Game Pass. You re- sort of get all these like little like snippets of information, right? Like a little bit from Microsoft and a little bit from people in the in the know with inside sources, and you're never quite sure how well it's doing, right? They don't release the numbers anymore, and it's interesting because like you look at something like Starfield or even you know again in the last few weeks, Pal World, where you know, they have still sold decent numbers. Like not, I'm not, you know, whether Starfield sold enough, I'm not going to debate that with everyone who's got a chip on the shoulder about that game. Um, But it still sold millions of individual copies. Whereas, and you got to wonder how much is that like then doing value for Game Pass versus other things where Game Pass has been the primary way people have played and people haven't really made their money back off the one-off sugar hit that, that Microsoft gives them. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird one because it just first off, it doesn't seem sustainable at the cost, right? Like it's pretty good value still. It just purely as a consumer at uh, at the cost it is per month, um, especially if you get their one dollar first month sort of deal and just keep repeating that, which I know a lot of people do. Um, unsubscribe and resubscribe. So you kind of wait. The penny's got to drop at some point. It's got to be like Netflix, where it sort of you know just keeps ranching up its price over and over, but. On the flip side, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily got the subscriber base to do it. Like I think Netflix has become so ingrained. There are just so many people with it that they just kind of feel like can't not have it. That it's very easy for them just to constantly do that. That that you know, turn up the gas a bit, charge a few extra dollars every year, and you know the percentage of subscribers we lose is not enough to um, offset the the financial gain of the price increase. But I'm not confident Game Pass can do it. I think if it could, Microsoft A already would have, and B they wouldn't be as cagey around the number of subscribers. I think if it was blowing everyone's socks off, it would have um, the numbers would have been a bit more public in their again their annual report or something like that. So it's an interesting one to see how it's shaking. Yeah, I don't know, buddy. Again, what did you, have you any observations from there? I don't, I don't. Do you even use Game Pass? I I've used it a couple of times, so I haven't haven't 
Oh, very rarely. Subscribe. I think yeah. I'm like subscribed up to maybe the end of next year. Um, just through that like one dollar deal and and some of the stuff that I get from work. So it's not like I pay for it. So it is kind of like a <laughs> service that I have. Yes, there. But I am just rarely in front of my computer um, using it because I don't own an Xbox. I only own a PlayStation Five. Yeah, and same. A Switch. Uh, so I've used it on very uh, you know mild occasions, maybe like three or four times across the last three years i think that one of the big ones was for me was like unpacking when that launched mm-hmm. it launched to game pass uh i would have preferred to play that on playstation i can't remember if it i don't think it launched on playstation at, at the same time i don't think or maybe so. it did but i i just purchased in the future i can't remember i think that might have been one of the odd like switch and xbox launch games yeah so um the other one that i played like that was tunic as well that didn't launch on the playstation or mm. Switch, that was an Xbox exclusive, so I played that on Game Pass, played that for one session, never played it again, uh, and then kind of like put it in my wish list for PlayStation uh, Store, and hopefully that when it goes on sale, I'll, I'll pick it up when I have time to play it and actually finish it, because I loved that game from what I played. But one of the biggest things you said before was like um, Pentiment, so, and, and with unpacking that I just said then, it's, it's great for Microsoft to be able to kind of like throw money at like an indie game like that, and they're very good at doing that, and like getting eyes on something that may have not got eyes on it. And then whatever money the remuneration the company is getting, that's great for them as well to be sustainable and having like a, a set amount of income. My only worry with that is like the curation is then controlled by Microsoft or even if PlayStation with their kind of extra service, you know, now they're kind of launching things on day one. Like recently they did Humanity, Sea of Stars, um, and, and a few other things about Chia. So if the curation comes down to them and as they kind of get, bigger and get eyes on those projects what does that mean for the stuff that doesn't get eyes on it and how people discover indie games specifically if you're not kind of actively looking for stuff it's like oh whatever the game pass has or playstation extra launches i'll just get those like everything else is kind of left to the to wait the wayside so i'm kind of worrying as these services get super massive and make more income then they could maybe throw less money at these indie games or smaller games that are not AAA because they are now a Netflix or they are now a Disney. So maybe they're getting the the good money that's guaranteed now, but maybe they can like, we'll throw you less because people are so used to this being the service where they find games and they don't really find anything elsewhere. Similar to like Apple and Spotify and like the pay rate that people get the artists get and how low that is on Spotify and how that kind of uh, all the shady stuff that's been come out with that, that owner and, and, and that um, revenue distribution model versus other services like, you know, Tidal, Apple and how much they pay per artist and, and streams and, and residuals and stuff. So that's my worry with um streaming like Game Pass and other services. And I think like it's weird, like Netflix is kind of so ingrained and I, I feel like they're going to be coming to that, that problem at the minute where they maybe they are on the verge of, Oh, we'll slowly increase it. The you know the just noticeable difference of of increase where they're gonna they're gonna burst. And maybe people are like oh maybe I don't need Netflix even though I've been subscribed and I rarely watch it. And it's just how I watch movies now. So I'm hoping that that kind of bubble was the bubble's bursting in streaming services for um the film industry. And I I know it's gonna get we're gonna get the same thing with Game Pass, you know, Ubisoft and EA Play, and there's so many of them are coming out now. And you still don't own anything mm. as well you just subscribe and that's where you're playing things so it's it's frustrating and that and 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 on the flip side of that oh sorry i'm talking along oh, no, keep, going. No, keep going quickly, but 
um, with the rise of digital as well. So as more people get used to subscription services, you see it with CDs, right? Who who goes and buys a CD now? We all have Apple Music, Spotify, or a Bandcamp yeah. title, whatever we have. So CDs become, I guess, not as popular as a medium, and then we sell less of them, and then it comes down to digital sales. If I don't want to stream something on Apple, or now I've got to buy it on Apple, and uh, that those prices aren't as competitive. I guess for music it is, but when it comes to games... All right, so now the subscription services are dominating. Microsoft's going to be like, okay, I'm not going to press as many discs now um, for the games, which is kind of what you do see at a retail level. Over in America, Best Buy um, are getting rid of their Xbox physical stuff. I saw them kind of get rid of Starfield, uh, all, the, all the Starfield Redfall, and kind of like have that, that memo out of like getting rid of all, all the stocks. So I feel like they've got rid of their physical media. They're not selling games. They're not selling uh, movies now. And wondering how that's going to like translate to us as well. Disney doesn't have the contract with us for um, Australia with uh, DVD releases. You can't get the latest Indiana Jones D- like movie that just came out like three months ago. You're going to have to import it if you want. So you see game sections get smaller in our outlets as well. Not as much with PlayStation and Switch because Switch software just sells like gangbusters. Um, and PlayStation software still sells okay-ish. Like, um, but yeah, like as far as mm. i can see from a retail perspective uh, xbox um, software doesn't sell as much and you see that because they're not supporting it it's dwindling down and those sections are getting smaller due to their kind of ethos and yeah there's less options there and that's gonna that's gonna translate into an industry trend that affects playstation software and then mm. the switch software and then mm. there's no trade-in markets and then we can only get it through digital the digital prices go buy god of war on the playstation store 126 dollars yeah, it's quite so a retail 109. That's when it's not on sale. So it's already 30 bucks cheaper. Then there's no trade in trade in market or used game market. So it's I'm worried about like it all turning digital subscription services. Then like what's mm. the choice for the consumer, right? What's mm. the choice? Now I'm locked in and games are way more expensive than they've ever been or you just don't own it and you pay a subscription fee for the rest of your life. Potentially multiple subscription fees. So <laughs> Yeah, in, in, in many ways, and I don't think we really thought about it at the time and the implications, um, this was all, I guess, um, foreshadowed by the death of uh, PC physical games and PC retail yes. um, presence that, yes, it's sort of, particularly in Australia, like they survived for quite a remarkable period of time. They could still go into an EB Games and a JB Hi-Fi and buy a physical like PC game like yes often like towards the end it was just like a plastic box with a code inside and there was actually <laughs> no CD anymore but like now there's basically nothing like if you want to buy a PC game you're going on a Origin or or EA whatever they call it now it's it's not called Origin anymore is it um no idea. it's EA Play I think um but like or whatever they call their store, yeah, Steam and yeah, Epic yeah. Game Store and all that. Like, that's where you go now. So, And to use the DVD, Blu-ray and CD analogy, I think perhaps not the, to the same degree as a game console, but you can get game consoles now without CD drives. But most people don't have like hardware to play CDs or DVDs anymore. Like if you're going to if you're going to their homes, like they won't have any. Like they can't. If someone gifted them a CD to play, oh, this is a great album, listen to it. It's like, oh thanks, but I don't have a CD player. Like, how am I going to listen to these? I bought some CDs in Japan, and then when I got home, I had to go buy, like, a $30 CD player from, like, Big W, because <laughs> I was like, I tried to play it in my, I think, PS5, and it's like, no, we don't play CDs. I Doesn't was like, read it. That's wow, right. that was a shock to me. Without your PS1? 
Yeah, yeah your, exactly. Your, That's... your PS1 and your Sega Saturn will play that CD. <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you both. I think it is a, a trend that's not going away. I, on one hand, I get it because like as someone who had to sort, sort through his Switch cartridges the other day and like I put the, everything in the wrong boxes and I had to re- like where, I'm like, where the hell is Pokemon Scarlet? Where did I put that cartridge? Um, it can get a bit of <laughs> effort to, to manage a physical collection. But um, at the same time, particularly in Australia, right? like America's weird because it's, I don't know why, it seems to be the one place where retailers do not do any discounts. It's just like I could walk into Walmart, Best Buy, GameStop, and I'm paying $60 for, or 70 whatever it is these days for the latest release. Whereas at least in Australia, like, to your point, buddy, like I don't think anyone's going to pay $120 for God of War because you can walk into any retailer, even EB Games, and get it, you know, cheaper um, by by a not insignificant number, like 79 bucks, you know, compared to 120. That's that's a large difference. Um, and unfortunately, you know, as you pointed out, if things go the way of of how the movie industry has gone, particularly here with with you know publishers just not giving us stock um, or signing deals to print stock locally uh that's going to disappear those heavy discounts um through the competition of everyone to get you in the door so you know you come in and buy yakuza today but you maybe walk away with a uh, extended warranty or a golden uh, hdmi cable that uh, <laughs> you didn't actually need uh, with a bit of a markup but uh yeah i don't think it's the death nail definitely this year 2024 is definitely not going to be the end i, I think we're, we're still got a good chunk of years of slowly dwindling I also am curious, though, what that means for, like, yeah, limited run games or super rare games and how those business models are going to continue to probably grow, I suspect. It's kind of a shame because I don't love it personally. Even though I'm a collector, I've actually really held off from participating in their FOMO um, business model, if I'm, I'm being honest, just almost out of protest. I mean, again, I'm glad they're making physical media of stuff that um, otherwise wouldn't. But uh, I just, yeah, I'm not a fan of being, like, forced to get up at 3 a.m. and refresh multiple times just to get a, <laughs> a copy of something um if i don't have to uh so i am curious to see how that sort of boutique space starts to evolve because that certainly exists in in the cd space you know there are there are sort of boutique print runs of, of most cd or not most but a good chunk um and i suspect even movies like i was looking at um umbrella uh, which is an Australian company, I believe, have just done a 4K release or about to do a 4K release of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, I was just sort of listening to some interviews on that and how that got sort of put together. So there's definitely going to be like little niche pockets. Uh, but I, yeah, it, it still becomes concerning when it's all going to be based on like we're going to do one print, got to get in early, and there's certainly no options for discounts. And if anything, in the secondhand market, it'll all go for more because they only print a few thousand copies and never touch it again so definitely a tumultuous space going forward yeah that's why my frustration is with like the um the microsoft merger and how that's kind of come about because you know they leaked their future plans for their consoles that don't have disk drives at all and i'm like that's like a massive red flag and the kind of the championing of like the, the activision blizzard deal for me it's like okay you've got one of the well, now they are the biggest company, tech company in the world. They've just recently surpassed, surpassed Apple. It's like, okay, Xbox is their division, but Microsoft has all the money behind them. If they have all that money, they can use Xbox as a loss leader to completely change the landscape of the industry for everybody else. And that's my internal big red flag of kind of you know, how Disney has done that to Fox and shutting down their studios and shutting down their kind of like 
uh, their art house projects or pivoting them to something else. Or now everything's on streaming. Yeah, we're going to just cut that scene and make it more family mm-hmm. friendly or or something like that. So. And also just like they're way le- like they're just not going to think about some of the smaller stuff, right? Like in the way Disney's not going to think about all these random niche things they don't probably even realize they own. You know, Microsoft, like as much as Phil loves to talk about, you know, I love Sierra and I love all those like old school games when it comes to like making financial decisions on are we going to make those old games that back catalog accessible, whether it's digitally or even do reprints or whatever it's just not going to bubble up there when they're too busy worrying about, you know, are we doing a Halo, a Gears, a Call of Duty, uh, you know, all the really big hitters that are going to take up too much of the headspace. They're not going to have time to think about what they must own, mm. you know, multi, like thousands of, of IP that all at one point or another were successful at this point. But um, well, just sitting there. And I think one of the shifts we're, well, we're seeing, and I think we're going to continue seeing in 2024 is this, um, obsession with concurrent players of a game it's no longer necessarily <laughs> about how many day, how many like units you're shipping and selling it's well how many people are currently playing this game and you saw that through the discourse over starfield last year you're seeing that at the moment with power world and the, like that's hitting headlines about oh well power world has more concurrent players than like starfield ever did and like things like that it's like it, that discourse is really changing in terms of it's not necess- it's not about selling units it's about well having people in your ecosystem and spending time in games that you're offering in that ecosystem yep yeah which is which is wild to me because it's like it doesn't take long to realize some games shouldn't have lots of players at all times because you finish <laughs> them and you stop and that was an experience you had versus again Fortnite or whatever which yeah they they need you on lots to spend some V-Bucks or just be fodder for all the whales when you keep losing to them and make them feel good about their purchases. (laughs) Yeah. Even Ark is like one of those games. I haven't played it, but I just hear my, you know, a few people at work and they're like, oh my God, you you have to log into Ark every week or you lose your stuff or you don't get the the thing. And I'm like, oh God, this sounds so predatory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like back when I played World of Warcraft, there's parts of that game that just felt like a job. Like, oh, yeah, you're logging in every day to do your daily quest to, like, gain reputation and grind stuff. And, like, you start to sit back and think, like, what am I actually doing with my life right now? Yeah. Oh, gosh. A hundred percent. Well, speaking also, we've talked a lot about the movie industry, but I want to stop. I think definitely 2023, other than just being a banger year for games, ended up being, like, a really solid year in terms of like adaptations of games largely as movies but even just other products and stuff right obviously the big two in my mind were the mario movie and the last of us tv show in terms of just how well they did financially as well as i think mostly critically um maybe some some people will disagree on mario but you know that is what it is um but also like other stuff like we had what um uh sony's twisted metal as well came out and Mm -hmm. did surprisingly well and I think, you know, as that feeds onto this year, we've just seen like a bunch of them go, yep, we're, we're going all in on this. Like Sony's announced four or five, I think, different, you know, um, adaptations, I think, and random stuff like Gravity Rush. Like why mm-hmm. are they, I mean, I'm glad, but just wouldn't have picked it, you know, a year ago. Um, yep. Obviously, N- Nintendo have recommitted to their second movie with Legend of Zelda with Sony, funnily enough. <laughs> um, so Paul, yeah, keen to see. Fallout's coming out in three months in April. Fallout, yeah, I think Halo's getting a second season, despite I think that first season being sort of somewhat critically panned slash panned from the fans. Um, <laughs> anyway, they're still pushing at it. So, I mean, first off, keen to see, did you guys 
you know, watch much of the the adaptation stuff last year, and again, thoughts on any of the upcoming things. Um, yeah, so I watched the Super Mario movie, and also watched uh, the Last of Us series. The Last of Us series, I quite enjoyed. Um, I definitely feel like playing the this is going to be oh, but the book is better. Um, playing the game is much better, <laughs> but because of uh, you know what you get in kind of environmental storytelling and kind of agency, player agency as well, and, and kind of like being the the characters and and kind of living that story um and i feel like the show is maybe a little bit rushed in certain portions and you kind of miss out on some really important context in in some parts but they did some stuff that was really well um super mario brothers movie i was like eh it's pretty yeah whatever i didn't i didn't like rate it i didn't hate it but i didn't love it um it's like a you know it's it's fine but it did everything it needed to do it's like sounded like mario it looked like mario and in the screening that I was in, there was like a bunch of kids there and then like kids are losing their mind and loving it. And there's some funny parts. So, uh, and then it like grossed over like a billion dollars <laughs> was at some point was like the highest grossing movie of 2023. So, uh, that went gangbusters as well. So, but I'm just, yeah, didn't watch anything else. Didn't watch Twisted Metal. Uh, I don't really watch a lot of TV shows. It's mainly film. Um, I haven't got around to seeing Gran Turismo, even though I know it's kind of like, eh, movie, but, um, I do want to see it. Yeah, same. Uh, I'm going to defend Gran Turismo. I think that's actually <laughs> one of my favorite uh, video game adaptations. Wow. I, but the yeah, thing nice. is, I, I do have a soft spot for um, sport biopics, and it, it effectively is a sport biopic that involves a video game as well <laughs> because it's because it, yep. it's based on a true story of that effectively at one point Sony got into this partnership with Nissan, though they pronounce it as Nissan in the movie. So I, that's how I, every time I see a Nissan car drive by now, I just like it plays in my head which is quite like <laughs> Nissan, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's about like Nissan and uh, Sony game became this partnership of like, oh, let's see if we're like, well, like young competitions to like get like the best Gran Turismo players into actual cars and like race them in actual professional um, circuits. And it like, yeah, that, that's what the movie's about. And it, I quite liked it. I think, you know, I, I can see why a lot of people wouldn't enjoy it, but I think it's, it's a well-made movie. It's to direct. It's Neil Blomkamp who did District Nine. It's a good director. Um, it's worth watching. And uh, on the car theme, I have I haven't finished it, but I watched the first five episodes of Twisted Metal, and I, I actually I had I went in with very low expectations, and like it's fantastic. It's just very campy. It's it like sort of nothing like the games, but it sort of it captures the feel and the character of the game. So I think surprisingly, some very well um, like quite good acting in that show as well. So I, I haven't watched Last of Us yet. And uh, Mario, like, I think it was great for my heart. Loved Mario. My head says it's like objectively not a very good movie. It's very, very much yes. predicated on fan service, that nostalgia element and very much an illuminations. Well, it's made by illuminations. They, they made an illuminations film. Like you said, buddy, it ticks the boxes. And, like you watched and you're happy, but like, like from my movie watching movie enthusiast side, like I wanted more out of it, but at the end mm. of the day, it wasn't a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and the things that like Gran Turismo was saying before, and then um with that and Twisted Metal, as as long as like I feel that all these things work, like even like The Witcher that's popular on Netflix as well, the D and D movie. I know it's not like video games, but yeah. um, that was quite popular. And that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I like so that. These like... things know what they are, and they know at their core. Uh, what makes those properties popular and worked, and then they kind of 
run with it. So that's like the key to the adapta- adaptation. Like Gran Turismo, they're like, let's make Gran Turismo. It's not going to be like world beat or whatever, but we know what people that like this want. And if we, you know, we know what kind of movie this is going to be. And if they execute that, that's kind of like where Mario was like, yeah, it, it on the surface, it looks like it has the core mm. of what we want, but not, not really what, yeah. What what could have been or what I wanted more, but I guess that's yeah. yeah it's like and it, my worry with this, the Zelda movie. Oh my god! And not to turn this into a like let's dissect the Mario movie podcast, yeah, but yeah, um, sorry. no, but like <laughs> it, but like just how they crammed Mario Kart into it, like just like kind of fun to watch, but kind of like killed yes. part of me inside of like oh yeah, for some reason all the Kongs like like making their own carts and like. They have an army of Kongs and all build their own carts and like die day by day. They're like, <clears throat> this is entirely only there for fans. Like this doesn't like even the internal logic of this universe, which has no internal logic because it's Mario. <laughs> it didn't really make sense, but they're just throwing stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to see how they explain Mario Party in the future and some <laughs> sequel. Like, oh, it's blocks and I don't know. Um, just quickly, there's a. I do want to shout out one thing, which I think is probably the most overlooked video game ap- adaptation of the year which was captain Laserhawk. i don't know if either of you watched that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But- I, I didn't watch it but um i was speaking to brennan from the hungry gamers um and, and i did like the podcast with him a couple months ago and he was like yeah it's in my watch list now yeah i, I, need, I need to watch it it's it's just very good because it's just an original story that happens to have a bunch of ubisoft characters reimagined and obviously the best being rayman doing like cocaine and being like a mid staff <laughs> but um uh it, it, beyond the novelty of it it's just a really good story and really interesting like my wife who knows nothing about ubisoft really enjoyed watching it with me and i mean it's by um what's his name Artie Artie Shanker. Shanker. Just, yeah. it's just got a, such a good track record now he's you know castlevania obviously and he had nocturne come out last year as well, well that, that um, wasn't then, his though but yeah because he got no but there. he was on, on it a little yeah. bit but not fully yes yeah and then this year he's got like devil may cry coming out and then apparently i didn't realize he's doing assassin's creed hyperlight drifter and PUBG adaptations in the future anyway i didn't realize he had wow. that slate but he's clearly made his wheelhouse for video game animated adaptations so um i'm yeah certainly keen for devil may cry see how that turns out but um but yeah, definitely give Captain Laserhawk a whirl if you haven't. I think they're making a game or there's like leaks that they might be doing a, a proper game now based on that universe, which would be sick. But um, but yeah, yeah, it's just an embarrassment of riches. And it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this all flows through back to these companies, right? Beyond just being another source of cash, it's, you know, Mario. We saw a lot of Mario games get massive sales bumps last year. Um, I'm sure The Last of Us, you know, there's, there's a reason we're getting part two remastered um, this year, and I'm sure it's part of it to keep it keep it on the shelves, keep it selling. Yeah, keen to see, you know, do we get a Twisted Metal? Does this show help it sell? That kind of stuff in the future, I think, is going to be a really fascinating um, sort of, as they try and bring, bring in more synergies, you know, basically do what Pokemon's been doing since since the 90s, but for almost every franchise now. <laughs> Let's get a resist. Let's get a resistance TV show. That's what I want. Oh, I feel that, like that, that would, would translate well. well. That, that would work very well. Well, I feel like maybe ten years too late because it feels like ten years ago yeah, a lot yeah, of TV 100%. shows were like that. But this is more me pitching it so that we can get another <laughs> game or a remaster of those games, so I can actually play them and don't have to find a PS3 somewhere that works. I mean, if we're getting again Gravity Rush, uh, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely seems possible. Yeah, and, and that's probably the other ad- adaptation that was good last year, of course, that Castlevania Nocturne. Still on my watch list, yeah. but I heard very good heard very good things about it. Yeah, I mean, all their Netflix Castlevania has been 
very good. So I'm, I'm not shocked. It is on my watch list too. I need to get to it, but it's just um, hasn't quite made it to the top of the pile. Because that is one where like, I don't know anyone that lives with someone, it's like you've got the stuff that you know your partner will watch with you. And then like the mm-hmm. other stuff, where it's like, I need to find an opportunity to watch something by myself because she's she's not going to, she's not yeah. into vampires and, and scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I think to finish off this topic, but to echo what you just said, I think the synergy, it's interesting to talk about the synergies because I think about back in 2022 and um, well, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which is, I still think is one of the best animated adaptations of a video game. That really did help like, revive cyberpunk that of course phantom liberty continued that trend but last year but i feel like the amount of people that bought that game again and went back and played that game because of edge runners was people started making mods to like bring in edge runner stuff into the game and then i think cd project red did the same thing like they introduced like in their big update before phantom liberty they were introducing things from the anime into the game so I think some companies are really realizing that if you if you can strike big on the like adaptation, it can really help your output in the on the gaming side. Mm, but yeah, for sure. Go play Cyberpunk; it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of things we want to tell people to play, I know we ta- sort of started off the episode talking about how many good games there are. Thought it'd be good just to sort of highlight any of the particular games we played last year that we would recommend. Previously, we've done like a ranking. We're dropping that this year because, A, I don't know how many, if Brendan has met, played enough games to do three top games, and that's a bit harsh. But, um, uh, I have, but I'll, I have, thank you. But uh, yeah. Um, also, I think in some ways, it's also, I, I'm more interested in even just talking about a few extra things quickly than um, three things in depth. So happy to open the floor. I don't know, Brendan, do you want to start with, like, I, I can guess one game that you have to talk about, which is, which you started in March, roughly, if I recall last year. But, Happy for you to talk about that or anything else to be- to begin with. Sure. So <laughs> even though my last comment was play Cyberpunk, I actually haven't played Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty yet. So um, <laughs> I can't mention that as one of those games. But I think the one you're... Ec- March, would that... I, I, are you thinking Fiat Rhythm? Is you reckon yeah, I was going I am, to talk yeah. about? Yeah. The, yeah. It's fi- Final Barline, was that Barline? I think that's what it's called. Or I mean, the, the one that sunk hundreds of hours into it. So I'm going to... I think it was about 90 or 90 hours in the end. Like, I just got obsessed. I, I played... I think between about April and June, it was the only video game I played. And your yeah, final battle line, there we go. Yeah. And I just really enjoyed it. And I've real because I've always liked Riveton games. And well, and I think it's sort of kind of parallels that the first game I've played in 2024 is a 2023 game in Spin Rhythm, which is the Australian developed rhythm Ooh, game. And that was cool. That's fantastic. Very different to Fiat Rhythm, but. I like Fiat Rhythm just has such a rich catalogue of music because, of course, they have access to all the Final Fantasy library. And someone who's never really actually played any mainline Final Fantasy games, I am really aware and familiar with the music. And you can't beat that music. Like, that's half the game there. And, of course, the other half of the game is just some very good rhythm-based gameplay. I would prefer it if it had a touchscreen, but it's still... Like, it is the game of 2023 that I sunk the most hours in. So, yeah, I'll, I'll start with that one. Awesome. Uh, buddy, what are you? Any particular games from last year you want to call out as, as highlights? It's funny, as a, as a predominantly PlayStation gamer, but um, I grew up as a Nintendo kid, and the SNES is the greatest video game console of all time, <laughs> and the Nintendo 64 controller he here is the greatest controller of all time specifically <laughs> for its games that were tailor-made for it nothing beats the feel of it um i actually have three nintendo games or three games that were on nintendo yeah uh two of them exclusives in my top three 
um, which kind of rarely happens. But it was one of those years where Zelda came out. So Zelda's my top game of the year. Yeah, um, and then Super Mario Bros. Wonder uh, was number three on my list. And I did not expect much things from that. Playing um, you Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe because uh, I didn't own a Wii U because, you know, who Why? did um, outside of Nintendo <laughs> fans? Um, I was there day one at the midnight launch. <laughs> <laughs> the midnight launch. JB Hi-Fi Chadston. <laughs> Look, the, the, the Wii U uh, walked so that the Nintendo Switch could run as far as conceptual ideas. So we, we can't knock on it too much. Um, they just got it wrong at that point. Yes. But we mm. got the Switch out of it. So, yeah, playing a lot of those kind of ports. And I was like, Super Mario World is my favorite game of all time. Uh, I played new Super Mario Brothers World deluxe whatever it was and then i'm like oh, this kind of is not engaging and i kind of bounced out of it after like an hour i'm like okay cool uh 2d mario games just are too easy now and just nothing engaging is happening so i had low expectations for wonder but when i picked that up it was just amazing 100 percent of that in like a week um the harder levels the the flowers the the like oh, just just the whole game design as well the ghosts like the kind of being a strand game if you compare it to like uh, something like death stranding and, and kind of helping people without being in the same game at the same time yeah it was it was just excellent it for me that's really the spiritual successor to super mario world for 2d um mario fans and then zelda uh a link to the past that sorry that's actually my favorite game of all time i don't know if i said super mario world before but that's in the like two or three top five um so zelda is my favorite franchise even though i've missed a lot of them um so i took four days off work for that and i think i sunk like 80 hours <laughs> into zelda that week end and i don't think i've gone back yet which i knew would happen um but i've almost done like 100 plus shrines uh, i've done maybe one of the big temples or maybe two but i've done a lot of side quests and i've hammered out so much in that game and um, I want to go back, but I kind of also know that I may never, ever go back. And I'm <laughs> kind of fine with that because that's what happened with Breath of the Wild for me. But yeah, my experience of those four days uh, playing that was just kind of, of uh, it was excellent. I'll Are we go. jumping back and forth between yeah. different picks or am I just laying them all out now? I don't mind either oh, way. I mean, I, I was going to say I I played Zelda as well. I mean, that's my personal pick for my favorite game of the year. And um, it took me a few few months of chipping away and it sort of jumped in and off um a few times ended up doing i didn't do this in breath of the wild but i did do all the shrines um but i don't know i just felt compelled to this time um yeah i think i think i've said this before but to me zelda is the perfect example of a sequel in some ways to to breath of the wild i mean uh i describe it a lot as like going back to like a favorite holiday destination quite a few years after um and seeing, oh, here's a lot of same stuff, but here's also a lot of different stuff that's changed and sort of mm. things that were already here that I just didn't even know about. Um, I think that was the vibe it really felt like to me. Uh, uh, and it was just cool. Um, I, You know, I it, it certainly speaks to me more. I'm more of a single-player gamer kind of guy, so um, while there were other things that were quite good, um, maybe their multiplayer focus isn't why they rate as high on my list. But yeah, Zelda was magical. And I definitely recommend it. I don't think I think if you didn't like Breath of the Wild, I don't necessarily think this would shift you to liking it. But uh, if you did like Breath of the Wild, or for whatever reason the Ultra Hand stuff really appeals to you, maybe you're a big Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts fan, and you've been waiting for <laughs> a sequel. Um, this is the one to go for. And then similarly, Mario Brothers Wonder. I mean, I I probably just knocked that out in a week, but um. And I really enjoyed it. Again, I think just the weirdness of the, the Wonder Seeds was really cool. Um, with that said, haven't been compelled to go and and 100% it. I, maybe I will one day, but it hasn't really 
once I rolled credits, I was kind of like, I'm, I'm happy with this and, um, I've, I've put it down. Uh, so yeah. Some of those later levels are really hard and just like, that's what I wanted. I wanted that box to be ticked for me. Like I, I love Celeste. I love Cuphead. I love those kind of masochist games, not Dark Souls and all that stuff, but masochist 2D or platformers, uh, centric games. So some of those levels are just oof, insane. Yeah, that's what I'm keen to try as well. Because the actual main, like just to get to credits, it's not, it's a bit of a breeze for the most part. Um, but I've done a few of the special world levels, particularly that like timing one. That's probably one of the <laughs> first ones you get. And it was, um, yeah, they're pretty, pretty tough. <laughs> um, but still need to go back to that. I mean, just to quickly round out Nintendo, I mean, the other one I just sunk a whatever amount of hours in was Pikmin 4 and we mm. did a whole episode of that so I recommend going to listen to that with me and and, and our guest Josh uh, who is also a big Pikmin head um, but if you've never played a Pikmin just just give it a whirl it's a very unique experience not to love it or hate it I think a lot of people will gel with it but um, for those it clicks with I think it clicks really well um, and it's a really again it's a fun one to go and get everything it's just got a really good checklist yeah. kind of uh, mechanic to it so Again, I've got hours of content on that, so just listen to those rather than me re- repeating myself here. <laughs> yeah, and it's still on my, like, in that episode, I'd only played, I think, about four or five hours of it. I, I played a little bit more since, but I still need to go back and fully finish Pikmin 4, but fantastic game. I, I really enjoy how Nintendo have, they keep on going back to the Pikmin franchise and they keep on iterating on it and making some really good additions to it. And I feel like Pikmin 4 is bringing the best of the franchise into a game and was they really knocked it out of the park with that. If I was to bring up another game, actually, yeah. I'd almost call it my game of the year of 2023, but I won't because it is a remaster, but Metroid Prime, first time I ever played Metroid Prime. Oh, yeah. um, absolutely loved it. I think as far as remasters go, it was like one of the best remasters that I've played in recent memory that keeps the core gameplay together. Yes, I know some people were upset about the door animations and that they weren't as complex as they were on the GameCube or whatever that um, discourse was about. I didn't really entirely understand it myself, but I think, <laughs> like, as far as, like, the visuals go, the gameplay, there's some quality of life improvements in there as well, but they feel really seamless. And at the end of the day, that that has always... Like, I've always known it was a masterpiece of a game. I just never... And I, I owned it on the Wii in that Wii collection, but... I'd never sat down and played through it entirely, and I finally did last year, and it was such a good experience. Sure. Uh, buddy, any other non-Nintendo stuff you wanted to, to chat about? Yeah. Um. So I said, you know, my top three games were on Switch, and we had the two exclusives there. Yeah. The other one that was actually second in my Game of the Year list that I had was um a game from New Zealand developers. Uh, it is called Dredge. I actually reviewed this over on Explosion Network. Shout outs. I gave it a 10. Um, for me, <laughs> this is actually my real game of the year because a Zelda game came out this year and I was kind of, as long as that hits the beats that it needs to for me, it's always going to get that combination of nostalgia and a franchise that I kind of love. So almost in my mind, I'm like, fuck, I should just put it over Zelda. But uh, uh, yeah, so Dredge, I absolutely loved that. Um, this kind of like little horror Cthulhu fishing kind of simulated it has some, a great story uh, and then the two ones the two other ones was one that I actually played and platinumed yesterday uh I pretty much picked it up and played it all the way through in one sitting was um a game that was on PlayStation Extra was a game called Humanity it's kind of like a lemmings oh, yeah. type oh, yeah. puzzle game um where you're a little dog and you're placing commands to get people into this kind of light it has this really kind of weird 
uh, creation like storyline um so that was excellent kind of puzzle games i love and then the other one it was actually in uh, early access that i played at the back end of last year it's called new star gp and it's basically kind of a retro style racing game like f1 racing game um and it has like championships 80s 90s uh, they've just added 2000s it's about to be released in march on console uh, in full release and i'll probably rebuy that again um super fun uh, a lot of f the current f1 games that do sim stuff like uh, that are not as arcadey could really take a lesson from this style of gameplay and just not aesthetically because it looks kind of like your old kind of daytona with those blocky graphics and it still has a little bit of like strategy and gameplay and when it comes to like the pit stops but it's accessible in that way but still being a bit challenging so uh that was uh, a lot of fun I'm, I'm pretty keen for the the release of that um there's also three games that i want to play that i may play in the next week <laughs> or two because i have like nine days off i'll just quickly run them down it's like tear down yeah, coon and then chance of sonar uh, so three indie games one was a port from 2020 two that i was waiting for a playstation release so um yeah they're kind of the big hitters that i'm waiting for oh, awesome um, i'm gonna echo dredge i just me and my friends just we do a monthly games club and dredge was uh this right, most recent one we did and that was yeah it was fantastic must everyone should check it out i i interestingly it is quite similarly structured to zelda breath of the wild or um or tears of the kingdom with kind of like it's semi-open world, even though you can go very linear, but you can sort of jump in and out of I'm doing the main story or or just going to get some fish, uh, whatever you want to choose. It, definitely check it out. Uh, if you're worried about it being scary, it isn't that scary. Like it depends, unless you've got a particular fear of deep sea creatures, which which maybe that'll trigger you. But um, <laughs> uh, it's not like jump scares. It's just more creepy slash yeah. yeah. I, I just give it a whirl, and there are settings there to to turn it down if you're um particularly nervous um and you, can, and you can slow play that game like you don't have to go out at night you yeah. can be pretty conservative and just roll through the days yeah like there's yeah it's, it's quite chill it can be quite chill as, as weird as that sounds for a game that does sort of market itself with a bit of a horror element but it's it's so good and definitely my favorite indie of the year venba i really like it's very short uh just kind of like a nice tale of of um you know a, an indian family moving to canada and then sort of cooking mama style mechanics but also like kind of puzzle solving more than cooking mama because it's kind of like you got an old recipe book and there are bits and pieces missing and you've kind of got to logic your way into what the missing words are um but it's, it's literally like a good one-nighter like it takes an hour you know if you can get it at a price you're happy with or on a, a service you're happy with definitely give that a whirl good music as well uh Probably the best Sonic game I've played in a long time. Murder <laughs> of Sonic the Hedgehog um, was very fun and funny. Uh, doesn't say much, I guess, but uh, it was an April Fool's joke that became a real game and released on April Fool's Day, I think. Uh, so if, you're, if you've ever liked Sonic, I think just play it because, again, it's, it's a couple of hours. It's um, a reasonably you know, lighthearted but silly sort of mystery visual novel with um, a little bit of a weird sort of auto-runner Sonic sort of mechanic in the middle of certain sections but yeah it's just fun um uh you know i would have paid money for it put it that way i would have paid 10 15 but the fact it's free i think it, it makes it a no-brainer if you're into that franchise uh but yeah that's that's the main stuff i mean there were other games i played that were good Baldur's gate i played some of i'm still i've got another session tonight um continually chipping away at it with me and a few friends but it's probably going to be one that i don't finish until 2028 because it's i'm i'm pretty like <laughs> stringed in and I, i'm only interested in doing the multiplayer i like i'm not i just can't be bothered 
playing it by myself. Um, so I, I just not played enough to give a, a, val- a valuable opinion on it. But I'm, you know, I'm enjoying what I'm playing, and I'll you know tune back in 2028's episode when I tell you about what I finally thought of the ending. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's in, since I can't say uh, Metro Prime is my game of the year, since it's like a what a 2002 game. Uh, Baldur's Gate Three is probably my game of the year. I, I'm in a similar boat to you, Zach, in terms of I'm playing it through a campaign and it's sort of a campaign that's on hiatus but just the depth of that game like i love my rpgs i love deep and like complex worlds and intricate world building in video games um boulders gate has all that your choices matter like things like that how they design that game that like when events can happen that like you wouldn't really think would be possible in a game but they've definitely programmed things to allow that to happen uh it's just it is like playing a D&D campaign but in a virtual world and i think that's why it really captured everyone's imagination and why everyone has loved it and why well it, it won the game awards like a, a, a D&D game went mainstream in the video game like larger community which is pretty like sure it's sort of D&D is like stereo, like art, arch, archetypal gaming but like who thought it, who would thought it would go as mainstream as it has and the other game I will mention is, uh, and that I have, I actually played to completion, which I actually don't do that for many games, and particularly not many games in 2023, was uh, Fire Emblem Engage, which I feel has gone under a lot of people's radars, but it's a really good, it's a, it's a fantastic Fire Emblem game. I think a lot of people compare it sort of to Three Houses and prefer Three Houses. I think the gameplay systems are better than Three Houses. It is in some ways let down by the, the narrative and the story it, it's very it's built on a lot of tropes it's very if you've played any other fire emblem game you expect what's going to happen but like how i view it is that as a really big uh, james bond fan of all the movies it's very much like die another day it is the purpose of it is to celebrate it's an anniversary title it's to celebrate all the other fire emblem games that have been out there so similar to how in die another day james bond is doing all these ridiculous things and like people think, oh, it's just a dumb Pierce Brosnan movie. Like, it's supposed to be. It <laughs> captures the essence of a lot of those earlier Bond games. Like, this Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem engagement very much captures the essence of Fire Emblem. It, like, it has cheesy anime, like, cliches and, like, story beats and, like, oh, like, oh, there's... I'm going to spoil it because, sure, it's a, it's a year, it's not even a year old game. But <laughs> there, there is a moment where it's like, you are the Fire Emblem, like, the player character. It's like, oh, okay. Like the like sort of like how they build it up to that point is like you're not surprised by that revelation because it's like oh yeah that makes sense in the context of like how they built this game like sure like this like doesn't really make any sense whatsoever but I'll roll with it because it's it's a fun experience like I yes I'm a suck I'm a sucker for Fire Emblem games I'm always going to recommend them but engages engages a lot of fun yeah it'll be interesting to see where they go to from here with Fire Emblem. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good smattering of, of decent games, certainly enough to keep you busy. Uh, not that you, anyone needs it in terms of... And I guess if, uh, if we did a lightning round, if there's a game from 2023 that you haven't played and you want to play, what would it be, buddy? Oh, I just named three. So, oh. uh, Cocoon, Tearaway, Chance of Sonar, Armored Core, Metal Gear Collection. I own them all. Um, they're on my list. in my Basically, in my notes app, I have like... What I've played, ranked. What I have and owned that I want yeah. to play, and they're all segmented out. So it's very organized. <laughs> so I have that for you. There. Zach, 
Uh, so Dave the Diver uh, is on there. Uh, oh, yes. Cocoon as well um, is on there. Resident Evil 4, I kind of mentioned earlier in the episode, is on there at some point. I've started Street Fighter 6 because I got that for Christmas. Um, and I just need to play more of it um, to form an opinion. Those are probably the main ones for me in terms of stuff that I have to hit, though I'm sure there's others I'm just yeah. forgetting about. <laughs> yeah, my, mine would be Cocoon, Sea of Stars, and um, Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Oh, yes, Sea of Stars as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, despite having backlogs clearly for 2023, and I'm probably going <laughs> back decades, honestly, um, if we really talk about backlogs, Let's talk, I mean, we've touched on 2024 a bit, but let's get a bit more nitty-gritty. Um, how are we feeling? General vibes going into 2024. We're a month in. We've had some big releases already, but, you know, we've still got a bit of a, a line of sight with stuff like Final Fantasy coming out in a couple of months. And, um, you know, Xbox just kind of outlined their their slate of games with Avowed and Indiana Jones, probably the two key ones, I would say, of their you know, future and Nintendo's got a few things with, you know, Peach and whatnot happening, but but a relatively quiet slate uh, from what's announced. How, how are you both feeling? Uh, maybe starting with you, buddy. Uh, pretty good, because looking at the list of games that are coming out in 2024, there's not like a lot there that go, oh, I want to play this. Like there's definitely a handful, um, specifically when it comes to the indie spaces, which is kind of where I live. But there's not too many crazy AAA games that go, oh, I really want to play that, and that's going to consume all my time, so I can't play all the other games. So um, I'm I'm feeling good, actually. Yeah, as, as weird as that sounds, I'm like, oh, great, there's not that many games to look forward to. A lot of big AAAs <laughs> are not targeted to me. I'm like, oh, this is a relief. Yeah, I, I feel it's similar, because like, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, Zach, we had two games that are averaging a 90 on Open Critic, Metacritic in Tekken 8 and um, Yakuza Infinite Wealth come out on the same day. And it's just like, like, sure, that's those are very good scores. But at the same time, I'm if you ask me, are big games coming out in 2024? I, I'd say oh, I don't really, I can't really think of any outside of um, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Again, we always like to mention in these episodes, when I think about our fantasy critic league and I had the top number one pick to go with because the random generators picked me, like I did not really know what to pick. Like, I had to think a little, like, I eventually went with um, Final Fantasy because it, it's sort of the no- it's the right choice. It's the no-brainer. <laughs> but, and I think that's yeah. what sort of, in any league you were in in Fantasy Critic, unless you had someone with some interesting tastes, uh, I think everyone would have picked Rebirth. And yeah, I think it's not necessarily, I, I, don't, I don't want to say it's going to be a slow year because while well, we've had Tekken 80 because of Infinite Wealth, I probably won't play either of those, but those are two games that are out in the first, like, three, four weeks of the month. But- like, I don't think we're going to have a slow year, but I don't think it's going to be as big hitting as 2023 effectively was. Yeah, I yeah. tend to agree. I mean, this is probably the first year in a while where, while I love indie games, rarely is my most anticipated game been an indie one, if that makes sense, of at least stuff that's slated to come out. Whereas this year, Plucky Squire is currently my front runner yeah, um, cool. by a long mile, um, which is impressive. Uh, and it just looks super cool. And I do hope it, if it, A, it comes out, this year, but even if more importantly, it comes out when it's ready. I don't want them to rush it. Um, so if it's next year, that's fine. But yeah, like there's not a lot for me personally. I mean, you know, Final Fantasy looks nice, but I just had never finished the original um, remake. And so I'd probably have to go back to that first sort of same problem I had with Spider-Man where I hadn't finished Miles Morales. So I'm like, I'll finish that first, but I haven't, haven't gone back. So we'll see. But it'll be interesting to see 
where again i think xbox have clearly laid out their year we know kind of their big hitters i don't imagine there'll be many surprises beyond that maybe a couple but nothing beyond the there'll be a call of duty like and we know that and i guess that's them now sony's interesting because i don't really know i don't really have a good sense of what they'd be releasing this year to be honest with you like i can't even I'm sure I'm just blanking, but I just so can't. They've said this year that they're going to do um that Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater remake and oh, yeah. Silent Hill Two remake will be out this year. Yeah. There are other big um hitter that's kind of I guess first party or uh, sorry ex- exclusive um is the Rise of the Ronin game. Ah uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, early March, and they also have that kind of the Pacific Drive, uh, which is being like showing around at a lot of their indie yeah. games. So I think that's kind of their, and their, um, their big tentpole stuff. Because they've got um, Helldivers 2 as well. I forgot about that. That's I keep forgetting that's a Sony mm. joint. but um, and, I'm, and I'm keen to play that because I think that's launching on to PlayStation Plus, like the essential tier for that yeah. month if you pick it up. So um, at first I was like, Am I, I, I want to play this, but once again, disposable income, disposable time. Like, will I pick this up at launch? Is it a, eh? But now I'll definitely pick it up and play it. And I've got a few mates that kind of want to jump in as well, so. That's kind of the same thing that happened with Foam Stars. I'm like, I was never going to check that out. Now it's going to be a PlayStation Plus. I'm like, all right, cool. Hopefully it has that like Rocket League effect. Yeah, for sure. Yes, yeah, so but I am keen to see what they end up in the back half of the year because I've, I've got a few things announced. I just don't know if any of them are confirmed to like definitely land as they're like, you know, what is their Spider-Man this year? What's coming out, you know, just before the holidays? I think that's, that's still a question mark from what I can see at least. Um, and yeah. then... The big one, Nintendo. Well, not not always the big one, but this is probably a big one this year. Is is as I mentioned, they got a pretty small, like not a completely quiet lineup. I mean, they've hit with another code already. Mario and Donkey Kong coming out, I think, next month, and then Peach. So they've got a game a month so far, uh, every month uh, up to March, um, and then Luigi's Mansion uh, probably later this year, and Paper Mario as well. But it does feel like every sort of rumor leak is reporting to this finally being the year of the next generation for nintendo the switch successor whether it's a switch 2 or a super switch definitely feels like it's going to be an iteration of the switch though rather than like you know going completely bonkers and just shaking up the model again yeah how how are you both feeling are you excited are you not that keen for new hardware where where are your sort of mindsets at with with a new nintendo system this year Ooh. Yeah, excited, especially from like a work perspective and a retail perspective because um, <laughs> I work in games retail somewhere. And uh, yeah, that'll be exciting um, as far as like a new product launch. And then I'm kind of excited because I don't really play my Switch often. Maybe I pick it up maybe once a year if a Zelda comes out or a new Mario thing. So it kind of just sits there and gathers dust. I basically have it for the exclusives. So I'm excited to see what they do with the hardware and if it kind of uh, really does need an upgrade and whether like how they double down into being a handheld and then also playing onto a TV, I would love if it was like a home console, but then it was backwards compatible with switch cartridges. And then they kind of had switches of like a legacy kind of um, product, but like as a part of their, their tiers and they keep just pumping the switch out and different models of the switch but all those cartridges are compatible with a, maybe a, a higher powered home console that they can get, you know, kind of not PlayStation 5 things, but something's a bit more of a step and they can kind of like go head in hand in lockstep and then you can sell consoles and keep selling more re- iterations of the Switch. I don't think that will happen. I think they'll just make another kind of an upgraded version of the Switch. And um, yeah, I'm just worried like 
how much will that be? How much will they want it to be? What are they going to do graphics and like product tech wise in it versus how do we sell this for a price point for families and kids, but push technology forward as well. So uh, it's exciting. It's more of the like the unknown that I'm excited for. Like, what way could they go? What will they go? Like, when it, when they first announced the switch, it's like, oh, it does both things. What? what this is wild, or mm. even even kind of the Wii. Yeah, that was that was exciting. Like the motion controls and stuff. So it's excitement no matter what. It's the unknown. Yeah, that I I agree with that because like not not that it's boring when other hardware comes out, but like what's the next PlayStation going to be called? Is it just going to be the number up? Yeah. It's like, it's always pretty like <laughs> yes. obvious what, what they're doing. Um, whereas Nintendo could be just completely bonkers. Yeah. Um, and that's, and it's even just interesting to see, can, will they fumble, you know, cause they, they've, they've done this before, right? 3DS was not a hit out the gate. It was a fumble transition from a very successful DS to a, to a less successful 3DS. And then obviously the Wii to Wii used the biggest fumble, of them all um, from a successful brand to a completely unsuccessful one. Um, so it is, it is, they've got a lot to get right in terms of how they position it and how they transition. Um, and I'm just, there are so many places they could trip up that it's, um, you know, as a Nintendo fan, I will buy it. I will enjoy it. I enjoyed the Wii U. I'm not personally, it won't impact me that much in some ways, but I, I still always find that like the business around it, the marketing, the um, decisions behind, you know, will it be backwards compatible? Will it not? Um, what new features are there? If any, when do they release? You know, I, I'm sort of thinking it's like a sort of September, October kind of thing, but some people think it might be sooner. I think we'll know in April when they have to do their like forecast for the year. Cause I don't think you can not like you're gonna have to tell people you're expecting to sell x hundred millions of units or whatever of <laughs> of this new thing right um probably not hundreds of millions but you know what i mean um i think it's not long to at least have like a we're releasing the successor in this fiscal year kind of statement um but i yeah the rest of it around it i'm just so curious to see what where it where it shapes up yeah no no matter how old i get i, I will always continue to be hyped about nintendo console hardware releases i i'll be there day one i'll get it whatever whatever form it is i'm sure i'll, I'll be purchasing it uh but like zach I, I am fascinated around the strategy of it what it actually will be whether it is just iterative of the switch or if they are doing something very nintendo-esque and just going off the reservation again sometimes that works often it doesn't like wii u but it's always always interesting to watch what nintendo is doing and the games and ideas they come out with so um i'm will be watching it very keenly i do think that it will i agree with you zach i think it can't come out before july because well they haven't really said anything about it yet so it does have to be a second half of the year release in my view unless they unless their big nintendo director february is like oh we're announcing our new console out of the blue it will be releasing in four months, but I don't, I don't see them do that, doing that. I, I think that would be too soon. And you would have heard things from third parties and in the like NDAs aren't that good. Like if it was about to come out, you would know. Yeah, one of yeah. the five thousand people laid off would have said something at some point. <laughs> I think, uh, depressingly. Um, but yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I mean, the only shock could be if they somehow don't and they just go, yeah, no, this is this is actually just one more full year of the Switch, which is not impossible, but I tend Cause, to think cause, not likely. Because in the end, did we get a confirmation whether the rumours that they were showing it at Gamescom in Germany were true or false? That Well, Nintendo claims they are false. That's that's all I'll say. Okay. Whether they're actually false, but they claim they are false. <laughs> 
Speaking of hardware, I mean, you mentioned it before, buddy. Digital only Xbox Series X, probably also PlayStation Pro. How are you feeling? We reckon those are coming out this year, or I feel like the PlayStation Five Pro is more of a chance based on like the the rumors, and that kind of being there a mid-gen refresh, which I absolutely hate the idea yep, of. Like, same. I never bought a PS4 mm-hmm. Pro. Um, I stuck my launch PS4 until until I got a PS5. It somehow survived that. sound like a, a jet engine um, by then. But, uh, yeah, I don't know when Microsoft's going to pull the trigger on that. I don't think they will this year. So, yeah, more chance for the PS5 Pro, I reckon. But, God, it's going to... Have we even hit the, the peak of what a PS5 can do? Like, do we really need a Pro? <laughs> what is it? What is the Pro going to offer that the PS5 doesn't like? We if it's want you know if we want 4K 60 every time or 4K 120 or whatever like we can't even get that with the PlayStation 5 for every game or whatever like what what is that is that going to be enough of a tier to jump up and pay for more hardware? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I know it's going to be four years this year since the PS5 and Xbox Series X came out, but it just feels doesn't feel like it's the mid it doesn't feel like it's it's like we lost two years to covid yeah. and like supply constraints it's like it's just yeah. feel it's it, it's like four years de- yeah. you know, console life cycles are generally like seven seven years on average i don't feel like we're midway through no you know midway through at all i don't think i, I feel like this console generation could maybe extend a little bit more or, or go a bit longer i kind of hope it does i think i think i'd like it to go almost diminishing eight, returns nine, it has to i think yeah yeah, but it's yeah. it, it def- yeah, I I I agree with what you said. Though. I'm not personally keen for a pro. I did get a P- PS4 Pro, but it, that felt a bit more valuable at the time because I felt like I'd got a lot out of my original PS4. Whereas here I haven't felt like I've got a ton out of my PS5 yet. Yeah. So I'm just not, you know, biggest mistake they ever did with the PS4 Pro when they announced it, they didn't put a 4K hard, dr- hard drive into yeah. it. Yeah. Um like the Xboxes had with their um xbox to xbox one in the, the white box what they did with the transistor 4k disc drive so i feel like if they'd done that i would have as a movie lover and you know i got like so many movies behind here and stuff <laughs> instantly instantly would have been like i would have picked it up and i think a lot more people would have upgraded like I, I, maybe i'm wrong maybe in the minority but i don't know what their kind of ps4 pro sales were versus non-pro but i feel like there would have been it would have been a bump yeah i would have been more happy with it if it had that because um you know, yeah, I've got a few 4K Blu-rays as well, and um, or whatever they're called. I assume they're still Blu-rays. Um, but uh, it's yeah, I didn't have a device to play them on properly until like the the PS5 actually with my first 4K device, I think. Um, which How many j- people owned a PS3 because it was a Blu-ray player? Oh, and yeah, just because of that, like, oh, I'll just get a console. Yeah, well, well, chose PS3 over 360 because of the Blu-ray. The only player. reason my parents bought a PS2 was because it was a DVD player. Yeah, that's right. It's a, what a, what a console. Tr- tried and true strategy, but not a CD player anymore, sadly. Come on, guys. <laughs> step it up. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how they all shake out. In terms of other things, we've sort of talked, I think, some of the, the long-term themes, but are there any other things we want to chat about for what we see this year? I mean, obviously, this year it started off pretty big with Pal World. Um, I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. It is continuing... Like, I almost don't want to talk about it because whatever I say now, I'm, I'm gonna, someone's going to yell at me, uh, no matter which side of the, the argument I land on. Um, but it has been a breakout success, and I am very fascinated to see where that is in 12 months' time. Does it still have that many concurrent players? 
does there any legal action actually eventuate? I don't think so, but it'd be funny. Well, not funny, but I'd be I'd laugh a little bit if it did, just to observe some legal action on it. Yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts on on that initial breakout big hit of of the year? <laughs> not really. I, yeah, I have a bunch of friends playing it, but yeah, I think yeah. it's definitely like you go on YouTube and there's so many videos about it at the moment. It, it's definitely captured the mind share of a particular part of the gaming community, and I think. Not only just from the game itself, Power World, which I always felt like from the very first moment it was announced and it was sort of that the discourse around it was, oh, it's Pokemon, but with guns. Like, it always felt like it was going to get attention, like no matter what form it ended up taking. And the fact that they've effectively mined all different sort of popular games and put all these mechanics into it, like not talking about any of the potential legal ramifications of doing that or not, like, it's clear they're like, oh, we'll take all these bits of other popular games and make your own game and it will sell. So far, people are playing it. I don't know how it's going to end up in the wash, but I think what's worth, I think one of the trends in the industry I think we're going to see in 2024 and onwards is, and that power world is indicative of, is the role of AI, particularly with the what we talked at the very start of the episode, rising development costs, laying off a of staff. You have the the CEO of the Power World developer talking about like how great AI is. And apparently they have, I didn't know this, but apparently they had released this other game, which is basically like using AI to generate assets or whatever. So like, I think there's a lot of parts of society that AI is becoming at the for, coming to the forefront at. And I think the conversation about AI and gaming is going to have to be talked about and discussed by, well, consumers and the people making the games because it's just going to become more and more tempting for people to embrace. Yeah, I think AI is an interesting one because it's it's a hard one to talk about because it's like a minefield as well a little bit. I think it's interesting because there's definitely ethical ways to use it, um, and I think we should use those ethical ways to help, right? Like, you know, do you need to have someone placing 50 million trees everywhere and designing into, or can we use AI to do that kind of more boring, laborious work in game development? I think most people would say, yes, we should. Um, it's the, it's really that challenge of like the art piece, right? Where if, if you've trained AI off people's art without their consent, that's where the moral issue in my mind comes. And I think that's where most people's problem with it is. Unfortunately, just the way things go is, people kind of conflate all AI with theft when it's not. And it's very tricky to have that nuanced conversation on a, a Twitter or any sort of social media because, you know, you can talk about a good use of it and then get just slammed about just saying that word from someone who's associating it with, with a more evil use. So I don't know, it's incredibly tricky. And even then, like, the fact is it will make things more efficient and as things get more efficient, you do need less people, right? Like even... You know, in, in I'm sure all of us have seen in our jobs, I mean, the number of people you have working with you is probably less than it was five, ten years ago as certain things have been really squished, squeezed. Like there's, I don't think there's a single industry that hasn't seen sort of a decrease in, in labor as people have found more efficient ways, such as AI and automation, to replace sort of laborious tasks that previously you just needed headcount to work through. So, I mean, that sucks, but... Uh, I don't think you should avoid efficiencies and getting rid of crappy, boring tasks just to keep keep people working. I mean, that's it's almost a broader issue with capitalism and how we support people out of work that needs to be resolved there than stopping progress from from that perspective. 
I don't know, buddy, any thoughts on, on AI stuff or... Yeah, I hate it. It's just going to get worse, <laughs> isn't it? Um, we saw like recently Microsoft's doing some kind of key art um, that they put out um, Xbox that was kind of AI generated and that got a lot of flack as well. And I think it's just going to be kind of this, once again, CEO corporate mandate kind of correlating with uh, laying off people and using less staff and just kind of like, what can we get, get away with? And then uh, maybe the industry pushing back on that, whether it's like you know, the people that buy the products and or the media or whatever, or hopefully, uh, I just, oh, I just, yeah, just think, just thinking about it, it's kind of, yeah, yeah. it's, 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 it's similar to thinking about the whole like brief NFT craze that was sort of entering gaming. It yeah. seemed to have evaporated, but blockchain, but like AI, like I think AI is going to have much more of a staying power and is much more of a dilemma than NFTs ever was because the reality is yeah. at the end of the day, no one. Even the people that were making them and buying them understands what an NFT is. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it's it's going to be one of those things where you're going to definitely start seeing games, movies, everything where like you could get little labels being like, you know, no AI was used. Kind of like you know when you go <laughs> go to the shop and it's like made with a you know handcrafted chair, not not machine made. That kind of thing is definitely going to be a um uh, a feature. I think of of marketing going forward. Because particularly in the game space, where it, it seems very hostile, like uh, towards it, which which makes a lot of sense. Whereas I think in other industries, like medicine, for example, you, you don't see nearly as many pushback. But I guess that's because again, it's not creative. And let's be honest, if if AI cures cancer, I don't think anyone's going to complain. <laughs> and in that sense, right? I'll I'll take the cure. Um, not sure I will, but if it did somehow. But yeah, I also think though this is like the start. I don't think it's mm. the end. I don't think we're going to see the majority of games with heavy AI use released this year. But I think you're going to see lots of announcements um, and certainly a lot release next year and the year after, and et cetera. And I think particularly on storefronts that aren't particularly curated, I'm looking at you, Nintendo eShop. Oh, yes. You're going to have a flood of these AI-generated games <laughs> that use word salad titles and hit those SEO targets that will just like be constantly released. That That's true. Steam will be flooded as well, I'm sure. Um, app stores, everything, yeah. Any other specific things you just want to go on the record on? Any like bold predictions that you just want somewhere recorded on the internet so when it happens, you can go, yes, I got that right, and here's proof. <laughs> Record for prosperity's sake, yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, Earthblade um, will come out this year. 2024 Ooh. is the follow-up game from Extremely OK Games, the makers of Celeste, one of the best games of all time. It will win the Game Award for Game of the Year wow. in Indie. Well, I, I hope you're wrong because I counterpicked it in a fantasy critic league. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's a bold one. I mean, I saw hashtag Celeste game of the year 2018. Uh, I love Celeste as well. That nothing's captured um, mental health better, I think, in, in video games than Celeste. Um, the I, I'd be excited for it to come out. I think I saw them tweeting that they're about to say something. I don't know if it's specifically about Earthblade, but we are... Don't tease me like that. Yeah, I saw something we are okay games post on Twitter, like a photo of like them all working, going like, we're working hard, get excited. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> what else do I want to throw out? Uh, Hollow Knight Silk Song will not come out. Oh, that's contentious as well. I, yeah, that's such a weird one. Cause like... just, just, I'm just throwing that out there. It could have been like either way. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's coming out. Oh, that's contentious. It's yeah, not coming right. out. Oh, that's contentious. You're right. Like, you're right. Yeah. I'm just picking a side here. Yeah. I don't really care either way either. I'm going to say it will come out. I just think it has to. If we're going to go controversial, I do think Metroid Prime 4 comes out as well this year. Mm -hmm. of Just like games Ooh. that have been dead. I also think it might just come out 
on Switch and not. They might just be like the last Switch game, no, I, and then they're like, I, I think the last <laughs> Switch game will be a remake of Fire Emblem Four: Genealogy of the Holy War. Oh, I kind of picked that in the league as well. <laughs> I hope not, um, but also it wouldn't shock me because it'll be similar with um, well, the last Fire Emblem um, Echoes: like, Shadows Echoes. of Valencia was released on the 3DS very, very late. Well, the 3D, the Switch was out, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, or was it, did it come out like the month the Switch came out? It was just, like it was very. Oh, so, it was around that time. I think it came out February, and the Switch came out in March. Uh, no, March. A- April, and this came out April twenty seventh. Okay, so, so a month after. The month Switch up, came yeah, out. that's right. It's funny. Did you have anything else? Were those your main two two predictions? Uh, we'll keep it Nintendo themed. Wind Waker. Uh... Remastered or remake or whatever is finally going to come out. A, a double pack with Twilight Princess. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Nah, it'll be Nintendo. It'll be just they'll sell them individually, and it's going to look stunning on the Super Nintendo Switch. Actually, yeah. I, actually, I do think um, yeah. Zach that a Metroid Prime Two remaster will be more likely than Metroid Prime Four. I reckon both will happen, but we'll see. I could be wrong. I have no real evidence, by the way, with that. I was just guessing. I don't think we have evidence for yeah. any of these. <laughs> That's the point, Zach. <laughs> oh, some of them are educated guesses. Not not all of them. What else? I don't know. I don't, can't think of anything spicy beyond my Metroid Prime one. I don't know. Either of you got anything else, Brendan? No? Jeff Keelion makes zero changes in the face oh. of criticism after the Game Awards and will continue on his merry way, ignoring uh, relevant things in the industry and uh, actually giving developers and winners and nominees yep. The sufficient time to speak uh, on stage in yeah. in the face of like and, marketing and exclusive trailers, and, and we'll continue so, not involving uh, yeah. women in the game awards. Yes, that's right. The status quo. So status quo for Jeff Keighley in the game awards and summer game fest, uh, whatever skinned face of E three that Jeff Keighley is going to parade around on you know, on stage with. Yep, and Kojima will get more FaceTime than <laughs> any, anyone else on the show. Yep. Again. The question is, which movie director will Kojima appear with next? That's right. Yeah, we, which movie director, which Muppet is going to appear next year as well? Gosh. Which, which uh, yeah, celebrity actor are we going to get to present an award? Yeah, there's all, all many questions. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's just, it's, he's, look, I mean, all power to him. He's carved out an amazing niche for himself, and I'm sure it's quite successful, but um, it's kind of depressing given everything else has kind of fallen by the wayside with E3, <laughs> etc. that he's kind of got it all to himself somewhat. Yep. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. Anything else? Any other hot takes or predictions? <laughs> I can't think of anything off the top of my head that uh, that I throw out. Microsoft will buy another, another studio. Interesting. Oh, they'll do that by next month, probably. I don't know who, but they will buy something. <laughs> I can't think of what. Yeah, maybe a Japanese, maybe, maybe a Japanese developer this time. Well, I know that is a bit more complex of doing, but yeah, it's possible. Though you can't lay off people in Japan, so that might be dissuade them. They might be like, "No, let's let's not let's not do that." Their their laws are quite prohibitive. <laughs> I'm gonna say we're gonna get one other major like shock departure from a company. I don't oh, know like, whether that's Nintendo. Like Hideki Kamiya like some, leaving, yeah. Yeah, so like we had Kamiya leaving Platinum last year, obviously he was a big one. Um, I think we're going to get another one where it's like, oh, that person actually leaving? Um, I'm not sure who. I almost want to say it could be Phil Spencer. I think he might just be like, I've got the Activision Blizzard deal done. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm off, guys. Like, I'm out of here. Um, 
maybe reading the tea leaves that things aren't going to go as well as as maybe they had thought a few years ago as well. I don't know. If I had to guess, I'm just going to go with him. Because um, Sony already had their leadership swap last year as well, right? Because what's his name? Was it Jim Ryan? He left already. Yeah, right? Jim yeah, Ryan so left. Like, I, feel, I feel like that's that's not going to see a major shakeup yet again so quickly. But, but Phil's been in the role a few years, and I could see him being like, let's go out on a win, being I've done the acquisition, I got that through, and now... Uh, I'll let someone else take the fall when it all goes to shit. <laughs> uh, maybe just. Well, that's. I think that's that. I'm out of predictions. If there's nothing else, I think that's. Uh, think that's a good. It's pretty good, good to end it on. Yes. I predict this episode will end now. <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, thank you for joining us. That was a great, pretty chunky episode, which is always good to have. Um, and again, really good to chat to you. If people want to do what we do and reach out to you on social media to form those connections, um, <laughs> where do people find you, assuming you do want to be found? Yes, uh, say uh, Celeste Game of the Year 2018 five times into a mirror and I just appear. <laughs> um, but no, I'm on, I'm on X or Twitter uh, at, at BuddyWatson12. Um, so yeah, follow me there for uh, what, I'm, what I'm watching, what I'm playing. I do. Uh, don't really podcast anymore on my own platforms, but I pop up in other places every now and then. Like so, here. Uh, yeah, yes. thanks for having me on. That's right, <laughs> like here. Actually get to talk about stuff. It's great. Is, I have to ask. So I appreciate you. Is there any lore behind the 12 or is it just a random a random number? Uh, no, it's just a random number. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, Brendan, do you want to tell our lovely listeners where they can find us? Sure. So they can find us on x slash Twitter at blowcartpod. Uh, we're on Facebook at Blowcart Pod. We are now on Blue Sky. Actually, I think it is at Blowing Cartridges there, but you'll find us somehow on Blue Sky. Uh, we haven't posted anything on Blue Sky really, but we're there. Um, you can email us at blowingcartridge at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on all the great uh, podcast service apps to download our podcast and send it to all your friends and enemies. And uh, you can find me at Tamazoid on Twitter and on Blue Sky. And you can find Zach at Eggerino on X and Twitter. And I don't know if you're on Blue Sky yet. I gave you a code, but yes, I need to. I haven't <laughs> done that yet. I need to do it. It's just just fell by the wayside. But I will try and register uh, before this episode goes out. Yes, but you'll be at Eggerino <laughs> probably or something like that. Most likely, yeah. Um, yep, I'll confirm. But assume that for now. Yes. I mean, I'm, I get uh, the algorithm will probably feed you me if you follow us on Blue Sky. I'm sure. <laughs> and most importantly, thanks again for coming on, buddy. You're definitely welcome whenever you want to come on again to talk about whatever the topic comes to heart. So we'd love to have you on again. Awesome. If uh, if your guest schedules or someone drops out or you have something and you need an emergency guest, I'll let me know, man. I'll uh, always always happy to help you out. Perfect. Thank you very much. Well, until next time, everyone, thank you for listening, and we will catch you later. Bye for now.